good to see you guys. It's uh, great being back. I mean, as fantastic it was on, as it was on the holiday, it's always uh, much better being able to worship and praise with all of the people you're worshiping and praising with. Um, so let's just get straight into the word. Um, so our word today comes from 1 John chapter 3, and it's verses 11 to 24. And it goes, For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love one another. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who loves a brother and sister, who hates a brother and sister, is a murderer. And you know no murderer has eternal life residing in them. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love each other with words and speech, but with actions in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts does not, do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Let's pray. Father God, I just pray that, Lord, today we could have a Christ-like love, one that reflects everything that you've done for us, reflects the sacrifice that you've made on the cross for us. And Lord, I pray as I speak this word to our church, Lord, just any word that is not of me or not of you, just let it fall to the wayside, Lord, and let all this be, be of you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. So if you ask a non-Christian what they think Jesus was like, aside from the ones who say that he wasn't real at all, they'll probably say that he was a loving or generous guy. You know, he cared for the sick and the orphans, the widows and the poor. Most people will know this about him. And whether they believe he was the son of God or not, they will certainly believe that he is that loving God guy. But how about if we turn that question on ourselves? What if we turn the question on his followers? If we were to ask a non-believer what they think a Christian is like, would the answer be the same? Will they say that Christians are loving? Or will they say otherwise? Well, in our verse today, John tells us that there are two things at the core of the Christian's faith, uh, at a Christian's life. Uh, faith, that's believing in Christ, and then loving just as Christ loved us. See, that's the love. That love is what we should strive to be characterized by. We are called to show a Christ-like love 
for all the people that we know and to run from hate in any way that we can. Now, when he's giving a point, John loves to give an example of what not to do first. So he gives us the ultimate example of what hate is like and why we shouldn't hate. And he does that through the story of Cain and Abel. Now, I'm sure most of you know the story of Cain and Abel, but I'll go through it for those who don't. So Cain and Abel are the sons of Adam and Eve. Uh, Cain's the firstborn, and he grew some crops. And his little brother Abel was a shepherd. So one day, the two of them brought an offering to God. Abel brought an offering uh, from his flock, the firstborn of his flock, so the best that he could find. And Cain brought some veggies or something. It doesn't really say. Um, and while God accepts Abel's offering, he doesn't actually accept Cain's. Now, Cain is super mad about the fact that God doesn't accept accepts Abel's offering and not his own. So he does what any normal person would do in that situation, which is killing his brother. Now, this wasn't just a sudden decision by Cain, like we might think it was. It was actually completely premeditated. God actually tried to talk him out of it, and he also explains why his offering wasn't accepted in verses 6 and 7 of Genesis 4, where it says, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door, and it desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now, John actually offers a slightly deeper explanation of this situation in verse 12. He says, Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. See, God didn't refuse Cain's offer because he doesn't like salads. He rejected it because when Cain made an offering, he was working under inspiration from the devil. He didn't make an offering out of faith at all. So while externally it seems like he was doing something good, rather he was just listening to the schemes of the devil who was planning to ruin him. On the other hand, Abel's offering to God came from a place of genuine faith, which is why God saw it as righteous and accepted it. So the sin that God was talking about here was actually the sin of hate. He fell to the sin crouching at his door, and that led him to the murder of his brother. He, ate, he hated Abel for his righteousness, and he was jealous, even though he had no reason to be. See, in John's eyes, it's super simple. If we don't love, we hate. That's why he alerts us to, first of all, to the world's hate. See, in the same way that Cain hated Abel for his righteousness, the world actually is inclined to hate Christians. See, if we aren't led by God's love, then we're led by the devil instead. So, and it really doesn't take much looking in the world to prove that most non-Christians are going to reject Christ's message and Christians themselves. See, the righteousness and love we show can actually cause the world to react with hate, just like Cain reacted to Abel's righteousness. But that's just a small aside in John's overall message. What he's really trying to say here is love and hate are polar opposites. They can't exist together. 
love for our fellow believers is a sign of our faith in Christ. It's one of the defining characteristics of a Christian. It's the show of the work that Christ is doing in our lives to make us look more and more like him each and every day. So the opposite is also true. If you hold on to hate in your heart, then as John says here, you haven't really given your heart to Christ. No transformational work has been done in your life. In fact, hating a fellow believer is so bad. If you hate them, you're a murderer. And I know that seems a bit excessive, but what John is referring to here is Jesus' words during his sermon on the mount. That comes from Matthew 5, 21 to 22, where Jesus says, You have heard that it is said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother and sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court, and anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. It's quite obvious to all of us that murder is wrong, and that it needs to be punished. But murder is just the external act. It's the expression of a corrupted heart, one that's filled with hatred for another person. See, Cain didn't kill Abel because he loved him. It's because he hated him and his righteous heart. So when we hate someone, we've already murdered them in our own hearts. God knows God knows that those two things are the same. To deny love from a person is to wish them death instead. That's why we can't give hatred space in our hearts. If we accept the hatred that comes from the enemy then we're actually rejecting Christ. So to John, it's super simple. Love your fellow believers. Don't hate them. But how are we actually supposed to show our love for one another? What does that look like practically in our lives? Well, John has that covered as well, and he tells us that in verses 16 to 18. It says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Love is all about action. That's not to say that we shouldn't use our words to love at all. Kind words and encouragement are so important. They can really be used to build another person up. I mean, how good does it feel to get a word of encouragement from a friend so you know that someone is really thinking about and caring about you? And I know all the people who love words of affirmation can probably relate to this. But love can't just be left to words. What we say has to align with our actions. Jesus didn't just come with kind words. He laid down his life for us on the cross. He made the ultimate sacrifice for us. So in response to that, we are called to have the same kind of love for our fellow believers. We are called to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters around us. Now, I just want to take a quick second 
I want you all to take a look around you. Don't just look at your friends. Look at everybody around you, especially those that you've never spoken to before. You don't want to look, I know, but look. These are all the people that God is calling you to lay down your life for. We all have seasons of ups and downs. We're all doing well sometimes and struggling at others. But as a church, we should be a support network for each other. John says it plain as day. If anyone has material possessions, any material possessions at all, that's the clothes on your back, the phone in your pocket, any of it, even if it's just a little, and they do not help a brother or sister in need, then you have to question if the love of God is really residing within you. This is the common thread of showing love throughout the scriptures, to lay down yourself and give, give up your life just as Christ laid down his life. It's told time and time again by the biblical author. James says it in James chapter 2, verse 14 to 17, which anyone in CG would probably recognize this verse straight away. It says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If any, of you, if any one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself is not accompanied by actions, is dead. How about Paul? He tells us in Philippians 2, 1-8, Therefore, if you have encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from this, his love, if any common sharing in his spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one spirit and one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you the interests of the others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. All of these authors share the same message, that we are to lay down our lives, that we are supposed to show a Christ-like love for one another, to consider the other, other people around us above ourselves. See, if Christ has genuinely come into your life and shown you the love of his sacrifice, then you'll naturally want to reflect that love. So to love like Christ loved means we need to love each other with a servant-like heart, taking care of those who need help whenever we can, not just when we feel like it. Take a step to do something for someone else in need. Uh, we just finished a closed drive, but, you know, there's always closed drives. Help out with a food service, maybe. Uh, ask your brothers and sister if they need help, and be quick to respond if they ask. 
These are all things that we can do that show the love of Christ actively in our lives. But all of that is more easily said than done. I mean, we're human, right? We don't get it right all the time. That's why John gives us an assurance that whether we're boldly keeping to love or struggling with it, he says this in verses 19 to 24. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him everything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. This is his command, to believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and to love one another as he commands us. The one who keeps God's command lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. See, sometimes we struggle to love people with a heart like Christ. Our hearts can condemn us. We start to think negatively about people or we value our own selfish ambition above those around us. But what this is saying is don't kick yourself about it. Kick yourself over it. It's, it's going to happen. It's bound to happen. But God knows that. He knows what's in our hearts. But God is greater than our hearts. He is more powerful than our own selfish desires and hates. So when you struggle with all of these things, just give your heart over to God. Trust in him that he can take you from that dark place to a place of love and light. Only God can change your heart, but you have to let him so you can move from a place of hate to love, a love like Christ. But when we come to that place, when our hearts are aligned with God, when we have a Christ-like love for those around us, then we can have confidence before God. And John tells us something amazing comes from that sort of life. We will receive anything we ask of God. Now, this sounds like if you ask anything at all, you'll have it, but that's not the case. His real meaning is revealed in the following verses. We receive what we ask for, sorry, in, in verses 23 and 24, uh, because we receive what he asks for because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is what he commands to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's command lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. The core of the Christian life is these two things alone, to believe in Christ wholeheartedly and to love each other just as Christ loved us. Those are his commands for us. And when we're living a life by love, keeping his commands, it means we're walking hand in hand in, with God. His concerns become our concerns. His love becomes our love. When we live like that, the things we seek and ask from him are the things that he desires for the good of others. It's a prayer of love for those around us, not driven by our own desires. See, when someone's heart is fully set on God and his commands, it changes the way they pray. They won't be praying about a shiny new Ferrari. You know, it's, it's not going to magically appear in their garage. That's not what they're hoping for. They'll be praying that their neighbor knows the love of Christ and is well fed. Or they'll pray that God will give them the resources to care for those in, 
that are in need. And God truly will answer those prayers that align with his heart in the way that he sees fit. Genuine love requires us to constantly look outside of ourselves, to look to Christ and his example. Church, if we want to love as Christ has loved us, then we can't stay comfortable. We need to do all we can for those around us. In word, prayer, and action, God is calling us into a love that changes and transforms lives. Church, today I want to encourage you to be proactive in your love for others, believers and non-believers alike. Jesus poured out his ultimate love for us, ultimate love in your lives and my life. So let's share that love with everyone that we can so that everyone around us can experience the love of Christ so that when they see the Christians in their life, they know that Christ is love and that Christians are loving. So church, today, as we pray, I'd just ask that you would give up your hearts to God if you have any hates residing within them. Get rid of that negative emotion today. And ask him to take it away completely. And let's just ask God to help us love the people around us, to love our neighbors in the church, to love the non-believers in our life, to see him the way, to see them the way that he sees them. And to give us a heart to care for them in a practical way and in prayer. Let's pray. We, we love because you first loved us. You poured out your love over all of our lives. And Lord, we just pray that everyone around us would be able to see that love in our life. Lord, that we would be able to love the people in our church and the people around us even a fraction of as much as you loved us. Lord, help us to do that. Help us to be selfless and practical in our love. And lead us, lead everyone that we know towards you through that love. Lord, I pray that if we're struggling with this, that you would ease our minds. That we could come to you in confidence, knowing that 
you loved us and that we love you and your people. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.